0: Good evening, church family. It's good to see you. I think it, it must be a holiday weekend because uh, our crowd is definitely a little smaller tonight, but I'm glad that you are here and hopefully our brothers and sisters are taking opportunity to uh, worship somewhere else tonight. Uh, tonight we'll be in Psalm 51, Psalm 51. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that would be great. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, that's the black book on the pew in front of you. Uh, that's on page 474. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we will be looking at that uh, tonight. Uh, this morning, again, this, the lesson this morning was supposed to be uh, how do we respond? to sin, and tonight's lesson is kind of a follow-up uh, that we didn't touch, would not have touched on in that sermon. Don't worry, you'll hear that one day uh, if we have the chance. But um, uh, tonight's lesson, of course, Psalm 51, is one of the ways that we see maybe one of the only ways that we see someone in the Bible actually responding to their sin. This is because the Bible tells us in the precursor or the uh, kind of the, the note ahead of time of Psalm 51, this is the psalm that David writes after Nathan the prophet has come to him and confronted him about his sin. Uh, and let's just, just briefly touch on this. You know, David is an interesting biblical character. Uh, we are impressed by David many times, and many times we would look at David and we would say, I don't like that guy uh, much at all. Uh, you know, we we first hear about David when he is the giant slayer, right? And we're impressed by that. What an amazing story. We talk about that kind of story in vacation Bible schools. There have been movies made about, you know, facing your giants and all of this kind of stuff. And it's just a, an inspiring story about how he trusted in God to deliver him uh, from this great enemy. And certainly it's a, it's a wonderful story. We think about how uh, Paul describes him as a man after God's own heart. And we are certainly impressed by that. And we want to be people after God's own heart. But then we look at other aspects of of David's life and we say, are you sure about that? Are you sure that's the same guy that we're talking about? Uh, Because especially with this story, uh, we know that that David, just just briefly, let's review this. You're probably mostly familiar with this, but uh, he commits adultery. uh, He murders a man not just any man it would have been bad enough to have murdered anyone but this is one of David's mighty men a group of about 30 men who would literally have done anything for David and he betrays one of them not only by sleeping with his wife but also by basically having him murdered and then he lies about it to anybody and everybody denies it is deceptive about it for at least nine months during the pregnancy and then once the baby's born it seems as if he would never have admitted it or it or had anything to do about confessing and forgiving and, and and seeking forgiveness from that if nathan the prophet had not come to him and said hey you know that you are living in sin you know these things that you have done are wrong and psalm 51 is the response uh we love the psalms uh, the psalms are, are the the emotional heart perhaps of the Bible. It's where God's people, various individuals that are followers of God, they write this this, this poetic language to God and they, they express their feelings, they express their desires, they express their anger towards other people, sometimes even towards God. Uh, and here in Psalm 51 especially, uh, David is expressing his response to the sin that he, yes, it took him a while, yes, he should have handled it earlier, yes, he shouldn't have done it to begin with, but once he owns it, he owns it. He really owns it, and he, and he wants to make a change. And Psalm 51 is is a poem, it's a prayer, it's a response to everything that he realizes that I, I've really messed up, God, and I want to come back to you, and I want to be who you want me to be. So we're going to walk through Psalm 51 uh, tonight. Uh, again, familiar with the story, familiar with some of the verses. We just sang a song a couple songs ago about creating me a clean heart. Those are some of the verses that we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, but let's just look at it and as we think about how do we respond to sin David gives us a pretty good example of how we respond to sin. Maybe it's a prayer that you pray to God. Uh, maybe it's a poem that you write, uh, but somehow expressing your sorrow about the sin that you have been caught up in. So Psalm 51, again, we're just going to walk through it, uh, not quite a verse at a time, but section by section, and look at some things and point out some important things to, to learn about from this, this psalm. Psalm 51, starting with verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. If we just stop there, just just a few things that we can take comfort in. Maybe some some words and some understanding that, from our perspective, and and whatever sin you've been in, or you are in, or you struggle with tem, with a temptation, you can understand these things about God. And hopefully, these will give us some some encouragement, but also call us on the carpet if we need to make some changes. Okay, uh, I love the idea that he says, "Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness." Uh, oftentimes, that word there can also be translated as mercy, and we think about mercy, and mercy is a is a wonderful thing. We understand what that word is. But the next time that you are praying to God for mercy, think about it as God's loving kindness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Loving kindness. God wants to, to give to us loving kindness. He wants to be merciful to us. And we can, we can reach out and pray out and, and cry out to God uh, like that man, remember the, uh, when, when Jesus is watching the people praying? And there's the 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 rich man, the wealthy man, who comes and he prays, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like all these other people. I do all these, un, these righteous things. But there was that one man who was unwilling to even lift his eyes up to heaven. And what was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever prayed that prayer? If you haven't, I encourage you. The next time you need to pray that prayer, just pray those words. You know why? Because Jesus says, that man went home And he had a restored relationship with God. And the other man didn't. So if, if that's a good prayer in Jesus' eyes, that's probably a good prayer for us to pray. Next time you get caught up in some sort of sin, maybe that's a sin that you can pray. Again, we, we see, and this is building up eventually to verse five, especially that we're gonna spend a little bit more time on. But, but notice this, this build up that he's, he's talking about just how, how badly he feels. He says, I need your loving kindness, my transgressions, I need them blotted out. Uh, wash me thoroughly. Uh, this idea of washing is something else he's gonna, he's gonna bring it up again. But he, he feels, again, maybe like we have sometimes not physically dirty but he feels spiritually emotionally he just feels dirty it's kind of the the same feeling that Paul has at the end of Romans 7 wretched man that I am who will set me free from this body of sin and death wretched man that I am he feels he feels bad about the things that he has done and then I I I don't love but I can understand his words at the end of verse 3 and my sin is ever before me can you imagine after nathan the prophet comes to him and remember he tells him that story about uh the guy in the town who has one little ewe lamb one little lamb that he treats not like a not like livestock but he treats it like a daughter that he invites it into the house sleeps in his bed sits by his table while they eat and then the king has You know flocks upon flocks of sheep and he has a visitor come in and the king rather than just taking one of his many many sheep And killing it for food. He goes into this man's house who has this little ewe lamb That's like a daughter to him and he he takes that from him And and david is just he is angry there. There's no way that's right. There's no way that's okay That man's gonna pay back He's we're gonna punish him severely And then nathan's word are you are that man? You're the one who's done that. And now in Psalm 51, in this response to this sin that he's caught up in, he says, my sins are ever before me. When he closes his eyes, he sees his friend Uriah. When he closes his eyes, he remembers that night on the balcony. When he closes his eyes, he remembers his son from that interaction who died because of that sin. His sin is ever before him. Sometimes maybe we can relate. Verse 4. He says, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Two things we can take from here. First of all, from that first part, against you and you only, I have sinned. Sounds a lot like Joseph Remember Joseph when he's in the uh, the midst with Potiphar's wife and he says, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? He's not worrying about sinning against Potiphar. He's not worrying about sinning against Potiphar's wife. He's worrying about how our sin affects our relationship with God. David has affected a lot of people with his sin. He's killed Uriah. He has taken Bathsheba. He has done many things that have been very bad for a lot of people. Think about how Uriah's parents feel about David. Think about how David's mighty men feel about David. Think about how Bathsheba's parents feel about David. He's affected a lot of people with his sin, but ultimately he realizes and recognizes that the most important thing, when we sin, we affect our relationship with God. And that's the most important thing. And that's what he's expressing here. Against you and you only, I have sinned. And then it says at the end of that, uh, so that you, God, you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. He He's basically saying, if I were to say this in my own words, I know what I deserve. God, if you judge me rightly, I know what I deserve. I know that I haven't lived a life that's worthy of your love, of your loving kindness, of your mercy. I know what I deserve. And I've said things like that in my prayers before. God, I know what I deserve. And, and here, here's the truth, whether we've prayed these things or thought these things before. I know that on judgment day, if I'm sentenced to hell, that I deserve every bit of it. All of us do. I'm hopeful and I'm trusting that God's not going to make me do that because I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm trying my best to, to follow him. I'm I'm hopeful for something much better, but I know what I deserve. And David knows what he deserves here. And then in verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and, my, my, and in sin my mother conceived me. So here is uh, a, a passage that is important for a number of reasons. Uh, it, it's Again, it's a beautiful thing that, that he is expressing here, but it's also something important for us to stop and, and think about for a minute. Uh, some of our, uh, religious friends use this verse to, to teach a, use this verse along with some other verses, uh, to teach a doctrine that is, seems to be contrary to, uh, greater portions of scripture. So I want to stop here and, and focus on this verse for just a second. Okay. Let's read it again. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and my, and in sin, my mother conceived me. So some of our religious friends that may believe in the, uh, the idea or the doctrine or the teaching of original sin. The idea that when we're born, we are born sinners. Okay. Now you may not know about that uh, original sin. It's a it's a Calvinistic belief. Whether you know what those words means or you're familiar with that, if you've ever had someone in your family or a friend who has had their infants baptized, they believe in original sin. That's why infants are baptized. Okay. They they believe that that when we are born into the world, that we have sin in our in our in our being. Okay. That it is human nature. Uh. That we are uh. We're just lost even from birth. Okay, and they use this verse as as somewhat of a, a proof for that, and that's why they baptize infants. But again, let's read it again. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So that's one of the verses, along with a few others, uh, that they use, in my opinion, out of context to teach that doctrine. And I want us to look at that this this evening very briefly, uh, but importantly, so that we can answer that question a little bit. Okay, notice that this is this is part of the buildup. This is part of the build-up that he's he's been working on through these first five verses. He's been talking about needing loving kindness and his transgressions and being washed and his sins are ever before him. And I know what I deserve, verse four. And then, again, I think in hyperbole or an exaggeration or he he is just speaking from the, the depths of his soul, he's basically saying there has never been anything good about me. And can, I mean... Can you imagine if you were David feeling that way? I can. You know, if if I was the the king of Israel, the king of God's people, the king of this this holy nation, and I take a woman, perhaps even against her will, and I commit adultery with her, and then, then I find out later on that she's pregnant, and I try and hide that by tricking her husband into getting drunk and going and sleeping with his wife, and that doesn't work, so then I, I send him out and I, and I murder him. And oh yeah, he's one of my good friends, one of the people that I could depend on to do anything. And then I hide that, and then the baby's born. I mean, I, I could understand that if I had done all of those things, I would feel pretty rotten about myself. So I think in hyperbole, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I don't think he's trying at all to teach us the idea that we are are born sinful creatures, born sinful people. I think instead he is saying and expressing to himself and to us how he feels about it. Now there is some belief. uh, Who is David's mother? You ever thought about that? You know, David's mother is not, she's not named in scripture. Nowhere in scripture. You ever realize that? I didn't really realize that until this week as I was studying for this lesson. She's not named in Scripture. We know a little bit about her. We know a little bit about her relationship uh, with David. In Psalm 86 and verse 16, he describes himself as the son of your handmaiden, the son of God's servant. So at some point, at least in David's mind, this woman who is his mom has been God's servant. Okay, so, so we recognize that, that that's what he believes about her. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, in one of the many times when David is running and fleeing from his life, he seeks shelter for his mom and his dad. So he has some sort of relationship with her that he cares about her. Again, she's never named. We don't know her name. We don't know very much about her according to, to what we read about in Scripture. But according to, to Jewish tradition or what we would read about in, in various Jewish writings, specifically in the, the Talmud, okay? That may be something that you're familiar with. You may have heard that word before. What, what is the Talmud? Well, you know, the, uh, the Jews had their Bible was the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They call that uh, the Torah. Well, the Talmud is basically a commentary, Or it's when all their priests, their religious leaders, they would be reading through Scripture and they'd write some notes down about this. I think this means this. I think this means that we need to live this way in this part of our life or in that part of our life. And it has some some, some biblical things that are related to what the Bible says, but also some historical things related to significant people in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, you don't get much more significant than, than David. So they would write about uh david's mother uh so according to jewish tradition specifically in the talmud and even some other uh speculation from jewish history it suggests that either it was believed or even that it really did happen that david was conceived in sin uh, that he was the child of an adulterous relationship we don't know if that's true we know that some of the jews believe that to be true and they would be closer to the information than we are uh, but that—that is at least a belief that that could have happened. And if that's true, then when he says, "Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me," then we could understand that he could say, based on the the life that he had lived, the mistakes that he had made, he could go back in his mind all the way to his mom and say, even even in my conception, sin was involved. And we could see the way that he would uh, perhaps go to that and think about that. Now, again, we don't know for sure if that's true or not. But here's one thing that we really need to think about. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. We'll read verses 1 through 4 and then verses 18 through 20. So this idea that we are born in sin, uh, that we are born sinful creatures, uh, we need to, to read. Here's just one passage that we can read. That refutes that idea. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. It says. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The prophet Ezekiel saying. What do you mean by using this proverb. Concerning the land of Israel saying. Okay. So he's about this. God is is speaking to Ezekiel. And God's going to say. Hey. This is a common phrase. That you guys are using Israelites. And he's asking this question. What do you mean using this, this phrase? Here's the phrase. The fathers eat the sour grapes. But the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, to you and me, that doesn't mean a whole lot, right? We don't want to eat sour grapes probably, teeth set on edge. We probably don't really understand what that means. But as we read, I think we understand a little bit more of what it's saying here. Verse 3, here's, here's God's response to this phrase, this proverb being used throughout Israel. He says, as I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. He says, hey, stop saying that. Stop saying it and in verse 4 he tells them why behold all souls are mine The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die So they're saying because of the sins of the father the children are suffering or perhaps even the children are carrying that sin Now we recognize and we realize logically and biblically that when a when a father and or mother live sinful lives Does that affect their children? Absolutely, it does. It affects their children in a practical way. All right? But what they're saying here is, because of the sins of the father, of the the parents, the the children are also suffering with sin. He says, you're not going to say that anymore because the soul who sins dies. And then in verses 18 through 20, it says it even more clearly. As for his father... Because he practiced extortion, he robbed his brother and did what was not good among his people. Behold, he will die for his iniquity. Yet you say, again, he's saying, here, here's the common thought in Israel, at least at this point. Why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person, listen, here. here's the, here's the summation of the thought that we really need to get, verse 20. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor the father will bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. So that verse right there, Ezekiel 18:20, refutes the idea of original sin. Refutes the idea that we're born in sin, and basically what it says is, listen, when you sin, you'll be held account- accountable for your sin. But it doesn't pass down from generation to generation. And what we need to understand here, and this is just a, this is a good biblical concept when you're reading the Bible, okay? We could perhaps see from Psalm 51 and verse 5 where some of our religious friends might get the idea that we're born in sin. Because it almost says that, okay? But, it, but it's a little vague as to exactly what David means. But then in Ezekiel 1820, it's as clear as can be: The person who sins will bear the punishment of their sins, and no one else will. And, and a good principle of Bible study is that obscure passages are passages that are a little more difficult to understand. Clearer passages always help us to understand the obscure. Obscure passages don't help us to understand the clear. Clear passages help us to understand the obscure. We need to recognize that and realize that. All right. It's probably a little deeper than I wanted to go, maybe than you wanted to go tonight. Let's go back to Psalm 51, verse 6. Again, talking about David's response to his sin. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Again, that idea of him recognizing I, I'm dirty, this sin has 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 soiled me. I'm not in a good relationship with you. I want to be clean. Wash me. Uh, and this this idea of hyssop in verse seven, uh that's important in, in Jewish history because um, the, the waters of purification or the, how they would have to ritually wash themselves, they would use hyssop. Uh, which was a, uh, a, an herb, basically, uh, to help clean and, and to, to sanitize themselves. So he's asking that him to, to make me whiter than snow, as it says in verse seven. Uh, verse eight, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Again, he's in a terrible state. He's looking for restoration. Verse nine, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And here's verse 10 that we uh, sing about and we're familiar with these verses. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He's begging God, God, I recognize what I've done. I've recognized the state that I've put myself in and I recognize that I can't do anything to fix this. But I'm begging you to create in me a clean heart. Not cast me away. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's asking Him, He's begging Him to restore the joy of his salvation and then verse 13 is interesting he says then lord if you'll do this thing that i'm begging you to do if you'll do this thing for me then i will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you and that's something that again we as we as christians today we should be able to 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 echo those sentiments because of the things that god has done for us we want to tell other people about the good news of jesus christ so that other people can come uh to, to know him verse 14 Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the joy of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Again, there's still this, uh, this, this give and take. He's saying, God, please give this to me and I will sing for joy of your righteousness. When he says, just of note to me, deliver me from blood guiltness, guilt, guiltiness, I think he's got to be thinking about Uriah there. He's got to be thinking about his good friend. One of the, those guys that would have done anything for me. Deliver me from this blood guiltness this blood that i have shed and while he didn't do it himself he you know he sent him out into the the thick of the battle and then gave the command for for everybody it's just it's crazy how this would have worked you know they go into the the midst of the battle the thickest part of the battle and then everybody else in the company everybody else all the other soldiers they knew some signal it was a a drawback signal a retreat signal but uriah didn't know it so whatever the signal is the blast of a trumpet, a, a certain word that's yelled out. Everybody else hears that word, and they get out of town. But Uriah, the brave and mighty man that he was, he didn't know it, and he just kept fighting. And eventually he was just there by himself, and the Philistines surrounded him and murdered him. Can you imagine when he says, deliver me from my blood guiltness, O God? That, in his mind, he's imagining what that scene would have been like. He's imagining the the pain that he wrote and signed with his own hand that he put Uriah, Uriah's family, and Bathsheba through with that situation. O Lord, verse fifteen, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Verse 16 and 17 is important. Uh, It's important for us uh, to realize, you know, when when I have sin in my life, how do I respond to my sin? He says, uh, you, you take no delight. Basically, he says, you're not interested in sacrifices. And that sounds really weird to us. And I would think it would have sounded strange to a Jewish audience because they're all about sacrifices, aren't they? You know, there's, there's a sacrifice for any mistake you make. There's all kinds of sacrifices. Uh, and any time you make one and you realize that you've done something wrong, every time you're supposed to go and offer some sort of sacrifices. But David says, God, you're not interested in sacrifices. If you were, I, I would... To me, he's saying, God, if you were interested in sacrifices... I'd give it all. And there'd be thousands of rams. There'd be thousands of sheep. There'd be thousands upon thousands of all these different kinds of of sacrifices. You're You're not interested in that. And sometimes I think we can get caught up in, okay, well, how do I respond? How do I have a right relationship with God? And we can get caught up in, well, I'll do all the things that church people do. I'll do all the things that religious people do. And that'll make me right with God. David says in his sin, God, you're not interested in those things, really. What do you really want? How do you really want me to respond to my sin? Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What does God want when we sin? Certainly now, but even in the Old Testament, he doesn't want our sacrifices. Why not now? Because the only one who could fulfill the sacrifice we need has already done it, Jesus He's not interested in any sacrifice from us. He wants us to have broken and contrite hearts. He wants us to have a spirit about us that is sorrowful for the things that we've done and longing to do good things for God. He wants us to really, genuinely be devoted to him. In the last two verses, verses 18 and 19, I think that he expands. He goes a little bit beyond himself. He's not really talking about maybe himself anymore. He's talking about, you know, he's still the king. Uh, he's still the king of this, this nation of God's people. And he's saying, I know my sins are going to affect more than just me, God. I'm going to pray for also the people that you've given to me. Verses 18 and 19. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The young bulls will be offered on your altar. I think in some ways David would be saying as a, a man who's responsible for the entire kingdom, God... Don't hold my sin against these people. They haven't sinned. It's me. Take out what you need to upon me, God, but don't harm these people. Uh, bless them, Lord, and, and as you bless them, you know that they'll come to you and they'll offer good and right sacrifices. They'll live for you as you would have them to live. Psalm 51 is, is a, it's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful uh, poem, prayer, however you want to describe it. It's an example... When we think about how can I respond to my sin, it's an example of how a man who's after God's own heart but was clearly imperfect responded to his sin. And he did so again with verse 17 with a broken and contrite heart and a broken spirit. He wanted nothing more than to be right in his relationship with God. When we're in sin, and maybe some of us are in sin tonight, that's what God wants today a broken spirit, a contrite heart. He wants us to come to him and recognize I've messed up and there's nothing I can do to make it right and I'm pleading to God, Lord, please help me make this right. Uh, tonight, if you need to do that, we want to help you do that. You can do that right now, right where you're sitting while I'm still talking. You can do that. If there's something in your life that's not right, I would encourage you, cry out to God for his loving kindness and his mercy and his compassion. And, and have a desire to want to do better, a broken and contrite heart, a broken spirit. You can do that right where you're sitting right now, but if you need us, we're here for you. And guess what? All of us have been there. Some of us are there now, and all of us are try, trying and striving to walk up this narrow way towards our heavenly home. Uh, we want to be there for each other. We want to help each other uh, up that direction. If you're not a Christian tonight, And you want to become a Christian or you want to study about that and learn more about it, we want to be here for you. Uh, Tonight, brothers and sisters, how do we respond to our sin? We cry out to God with a broken and contrite heart. If you need to do that tonight or if you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, we can help you in any way. Please come forward as we stand and sing.